Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contained high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. What fights on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs at night? And then we take a look at the story of Martin Guerrero, a man who stole some grain and then ran out of town to avoid prosecution. And then he came back. Or did he? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. That introduction sounded so lackluster. Or or did he? It's a really interesting story though. I thought it was really, really interesting. Otherwise, I want to cover it. We actually have a lot of stuff to cover today. Firstly, October 31st. The River City Saloon here in Hood River, my boy, my boy's band, Sundivers, having their album release party. I've talked about it a couple times. I've talked about their band a couple times on the show. So if you are in the area, October 31st, River City Saloon, I think it starts at 10 p.m., Sundiver official album release party. After all this time, they got their album out and their music is great. I will be there and maybe you'll see me. I'm sure you will. The question will be, will you know who I am in the audience? You will, because it'll be the most awesome person in the audience. So October 31st, River City Saloon. That's a little plug for you guys. Let's go ahead and get started with the episode. So we're going to take a trip around America. America, the most fightinous country ever. We're just punching people all the time. A country does something we don't like. We just walk up. We punch the country in the stomach. Urgh, take that, Germany. Urgh, and it falls over. We're like, USA. America beats people up. And, unfortunately, sometimes we beat ourselves up. Not in an emotional way when we step on the scale and we're like, oh man, I can't believe I ate all those burritos. Sometimes we beat up fellow Americans. And it's a tragedy. St. Louis, Missouri. It's December 2016, right? And you have this 10-year-old boy walking through a daycare center. He's probably just picking up his little brother or something like that. Bored. I don't know. I don't know why he was there. That's not the point of the story. It's not a mystery as to why a 10-year-old boy is at a daycare center. But he hears something in another room. Smash. And he's like, what is going on in there? He's like, he's like, it sounds like someone's trying to clear their throat constantly. I don't know what that sound effect is. Ten-year-old opens up the door and sees two little preschoolers, right? Boxing. (laughs) Boxing in the most adorable fashion ever. They're wearing giant, oversized, (laughs) incredible Hulk hands. 
And if you've ever had those, when you punch hard enough, it goes Hulk smash or sounds like windows breaking. But these two preschoolers have, they both have a pair of these incredible Hulk hands and they're throwing punches. Now that's adorable, but there's two daycare workers watching them and directing the fight. So it's not like these kids are just kind of goofing off. There's two adults being like, no, get him, get him, get him. And the kid's like, weapon sweat off his brow with his giant hand. Stick, stick, boom, boom, boom. Just bunch, punching each other, right? And according to the complaint, according to the news articles, there's video footage of this. There's surveillance footage of two adults. One of them is jumping up and down because she's really excited. It's two young women. One of them is jumping up and down because she's really excited about how the fight's turning out. And then the other set of footage is from the 10-year-old boy. He pulled out his cell phone. So we have two different angles on this. We see these two preschoolers just boxing with these gloves on. And the only person to interrupt the fight, at some point in the video, another preschool kid walks up and starts separating. "Ah, Come on, guys, you've had enough. Yeah, yeah, both Hulk, Hulk smash, Hulk smash. Come on, guys, just break it up. It's over. So it took another preschooler to come and break the fight up. Now, this footage ended up getting uploaded and reported to the police. I like how the article I was reading made a fact to to say that one of the boy this fight took place on one of the boys' birthday and he got a black eye. And that's sad, but that's a little I mean, who who really cares at that point? First off, how do you get a black eye from a giant Hulk hand? I guess when you're a preschooler, everything kind of bruises you up. But two, like I don't really care about I don't think that kid's going to be like 18 years old and be like, "Do you have any like regrets?" and he's like, "Yeah, I we shouldn't get that black eye when I was four. Like, I don't I don't understand why that sentence is even in the... It doesn't make it any more or less tragic. What does make it tragic was these girls were fired and arrested, and then all charges were dropped. So they're suffering nothing. They're, they're not suffering any penalties for this. Prosecutors said there was lack of evidence, even though there was two sources of the recording showing this. So that is our first... Fight. That's our first little fight club. And, and really, I guess I kind of botched the intro on this. This is, These are all fight clubs. These are all fight club stories that have been initiated in America. And you're like, that's a weird topic for Dead Rabbit Radio. I know. But I find it hilarious. So let's go ahead and we are leaving behind the kids of the daycare center. They're like, oh, please, it's my birthday. Do you want to get a present? And you're like, yeah, here's an ice pack here. You're going to have this. He's like, yay, what's what I always wanted since this afternoon when I got a black eye. We're leaving. That was in St. Louis, Missouri. I don't know if I said that. Anyways, we're leaving there. We're leaving the place that I just mentioned. We're going to Hartford, Connecticut. And this one, what was? What were we in the first one? Oh, we were. We were there's a ten year old boy was our narrator. And this one, the narrator will be a intrepid high school journalist. And he's like walking through the halls of the school all alone. He's like, there must be a story around here somewhere. There better be, otherwise I'm going to fail my journalism class. So, as he's thinking about maybe just making a story up, he hears us. And he's like, that's weird. Is there like some black and gospel church group in there practicing? And they're clapping and they're not singing. I just hear the clapping part of their song. I'm going to go check it out. So, he looks in the door and what he sees is two dudes just slapping each other really, really hard. Ugh! Ugh. Oh, that's the other guy getting slapped. It's not the same guy getting hit twice. Ugh. Ugh. I'll do two different sound effects. And he sees 
Substitute teacher Ryan Avery Fish standing there watching this all go down. Now, that is what we legally know. There's a lot. Everything else I'm going to say is going to be alleged, right? So, allegedly, this is what happened. Ryan Albert, no, not Ryan Albert. (laughs) Albert Fish is a brutal cannibal serial killer. Ryan Avery Fish was a substitute teacher. That part's not alleged. And there are these kids, it's also, okay, so this is, okay, it's, this is where it gets dicey, because different versions. Anyways, I'm going to tell a version, and it's all alleged. So, the kids wanted to have a slap fight, and Ryan wanted to be a cool teacher who was, like, friends with the kids, so he, like, mediated it, or, like, moderated it, or refed it, I guess would be a better term, and... He would, they were slapping each other, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, man, it was a good slap, bro, good slap. And then one guy got slapped so hard he started to throw up, which makes me think that guy is also one of the preschoolers from the first story. Because you have to get slapped pretty hard to, to throw up. I don't even know that's possible. I've walked out of violent car crashes and, and full-on fights, full-on getting punched in the head multiple times and never throwing up. So unless this guy was, like, made of... Ego waffle. I, I can't imagine any human so frail surviving to high school that can get slapped and then vomit from it. But anyways, the teacher said, take a break, man. Take a break. And then once the kid like stopped vomiting in the corner, he's like, okay, go back in there. So they're slapping each other. So it wasn't a full-on like fight. It wasn't... At least the preschoolers were like fist to fist. Like, yes, they had gloves on, but the gloves were incredible Hulk hands, and you know how strong he is. These high schoolers were just slapping each other. They were... I think six of them between the ages of 14 and 16. So this gets videotaped as well. I tried finding the videotape because I wanted to see it. I couldn't find it, but I'm sure it's out there. And honestly, I didn't try super hard, but I mean, I just was looking for it. He ends up getting reported to the principal at the school. And Ryan's response was, ah, boys will be boys. This is what people, which is, yes. But when you're in a position of watching them, you can't really use that. So the school fires him, but they never report any of this. And then eventually the authorities did find out about this. And then like the principal and stuff was sued as well. This is one of the story. This all happened back in 2017. And then it was all discovered in 2018. And I kind of mentioned this yesterday. After a story like pops, you can almost never find follow up on it nowadays. So I don't know if this guy's doing jail. I don't know if he got like a ticket. There's no follow up. We just know that these people got fired and arrested. Most importantly, did these kids, did that kid ever stop throwing up? Or is he to this very day throwing up? You go to Hartford, Connecticut, and you're like at Target, and you're like, hey, do you know where the soap is? And the guy turns around, he's wearing like a Target uniform. He's like, yeah, it's over. And then you realize he has like a red mark on his face, and you're like, the legends are true. He's still throwing up. Let's go ahead and move on to our last fight club here. Before I run out of time to talk about Martin Guerrero again, let's go to our last fight club. We're, there's not a lot of information on this, but I think it might be the best fight club ever. We're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's 2019. And these three women, these, this is currently ongoing trial case. Marilyn McKay, Tona Kia, or Tonisha Tyson, and Tanisha Jordan are being tried for running a fight club it it, it to this, this one to be fair fight club 
might be a bit of a stretch. But for organizing fights or for encouraging fights between people with dementia at an assisted care living center. Which, before you go, Jason. <laughs> Jason, really? Listen, li- hear me out. Hear me out. So so a fight club at an assisted living home. The idea itself is kind of <laughs> kind of funny. It would be better suited for a plot of a movie. They're actually, though, facing criminal trials, uh, criminal charges for, like, assaulting a elderly person or disabled people or both. I think at a certain point you become so elderly, they're just like, ah, that guy's disabled. You're like, what? No, look, it, I can lift all these weights. They're like, ah, you're just disabled now. Go, go lay down. And they're like, but I'm super strong. So I don't know. I, anyways, the point is fight clubs through all age groups. If I had to fight in any of those age groups, I would probably be the dementia boxer. Because I would just have to, like, part of boxing is, like, outthinking your opponent. And if your opponent forgets everything five seconds after it happens, you got it. Like, being the little kid hit with the whole cans, that's cool, but that one dude got a black eye. And then the slap fighting, that sounded kind of dumb, actually, because you slap a dude, he starts throwing up. I'd feel bad. But if I'm boxing some elderly person, I'm like, duck and weave, duck Think about it this way. Think about it this way. If you were in a... Movie where you were boxing little kids, that is just, that's just like Kindergarten Cop 3, right? They actually should make that. They should go, they should make Kindergarten Cop 3 where they have to break up a child fighting ring. The slap fighting and throwing up, those kids are made of, made of tissue paper and I would just tear through them. But think about a movie based on a dude who is in a old folks home. He has dementia. The people he's fighting have dementia. Think about all of the training montages you would be able to have in that movie. Because every scene would be like a guy getting beat up and he's like, I gotta learn a special move. I gotta learn a crane kick type move to beat this guy. And then you do this whole musical montage where he learns the move. And then the fight comes up he totally forgets the move and gets beat up. He's like, I gotta learn a move. The whole movie would be musical montages. So there's that. You could have the love interest be like the sexy nerd. You can't have a love interest in the other two versions because that's gross. But in the uh, dementia one, you can have like the the sexy nurse be the, the love interest. And you're like the old, like weathered boxer. And you like meet the sexy nurse. And you're like, oh, I wonder if she'll go out with me. And she's like, dude, we've been dating for six weeks. You're just training. <laughs> what? I wonder if she likes me. She's like, dude, I just had your baby. He's like, ah, going at it. That would be a movie I would watch. That'd be a movie I'd live boxing i'd have dementia i'd be boxing people with dementia and then at the end of the movie it turns out it was all just a delusion but then it turns into double twist ending it wasn't just a delusion it all happened you just forgot it happened and then remembered it as a delusion but then you forgot that delusions exist and then it's just the the last 20 minutes is just a white screen while the audience contemplates what went on. And then the final second is a punch hitting you. And it turns out it was all real. And you were just getting punched a lot during the last 20 minutes of the movie. To the point where you saw white and threw up. But let's go ahead and leave our fighting days behind us. We are going now to France. Birthplace of the Franc. Birthplace of uh, French rolls. I don't think those existed anywhere. They just had rolls and they weren't as delicious. Birthplace of French girls. Lots of great stuff comes from French. What? What's the other thing? French kissing? Mm-hmm. 
So anyways, before that, they everyone just rubbed their lips together. The year is 1527. We're in France. And we're going to meet a guy named Martin Guerrero. Now, this guy wasn't getting in boxing matches when he was a teenager. He might have been. But he was, this sucks, getting married. He's 14 years old, and he gets married. That is hellish. That, that, that's awful. Like, I can't imagine being, I can't imagine being married now. And I've had, like, a lot of really cool experiences. I can't imagine being married when I was 14 and not having none of that stuff. So, anyways, this kid's married when he's 14 years old. But, to kind of soften the blow, he marries a rich chick. So, there you go. I could be married since I was 14 to somebody who was rich. I'll do that. But, anyways, he's married some rich chick named Bertrand. It's like, just when you think things are on the up, she has a bad name. Martin marries Bertrand at the age of 14. They have a son. In 1540s, everything's going pretty good. His dad's kind of well off. Her dad's very rich. They have a little baby. In the year 1548, he gets accused of stealing grain from his dad. So yes, she is rich, but we're in like provincial France. So rich means you have less cooties than your neighbors. Like, yes, she had money, but he still had to steal grain from people for whatever reason. So Martin is like, oh man, I really need it. I really want some bread. I want to make some French rolls, but I don't have enough grain. So he goes and he steals grain from his dad. Now, if I stole grain from my dad, my dad would be like, where did I get all these grain from? And Jason, why'd you steal it? I think most people, if they stole grain, they'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry, dude. I just really want to make bread. And the other people would be like, I didn't even know I had grain to steal. But back then, that was a big, big deal. Martin runs away. He's so petrified that his dad is mad that he leaves town for eight years. Eight years over grain. Martin comes back to town and everyone's like, where were you? And he's like, went and joined the army. I did some stuff and I didn't want to face my dad over the whole grain incident. And people are like, "Ah, that's fair. Your father was quite the lunatic. And he thought he, he talked about you at his grave. He said how badly he wanted to bash your head in. He's like, oh, dad. Because at this point, father's passed away. And his father did leave him an inheritance. So, you know, let bygones be bygones. Let grain be grain. And he comes back. He gets uh, his inheritance from his father's estate. And he has a son with Bertrand. And so they have a son and the daughter. Now, his uncle also gets part of the father's inheritance because he was gone. So the dad was like, I don't know if I'm going to give him all this stuff. Like, I'm going to give some of it to the uncle. Because I don't know if I'll ever see Martin again. But anyways, Martin does come back. And the inheritance is split between Martin and the uncle. And Martin sues the uncle. Because he wants all the inheritance. Now, during this time of disappearance, the uncle, his name is Uncle Pierre, married Bertrand's mom, who is now a widow. So basically... His uncle is now his father-in-law as well. And the uncle is sitting there, and now he's being sued by his nephew-slash-son-in-law, and he's going, I don't think this is Martin. Like, something's off about this. And people are like, well, it's Martin. He's like, listen, I don't think it's the real Martin Guerrero. I think it's somebody else. I I think it's an imposter. Now, people go, he did come back into town after a long absence, but... His wife recognized him. His daughter recognized him. His sisters, he has four sisters. They're like Martin. They absolutely recognize him. People in town go, that's Martin. And 
even you, Uncle Pierre, you recognize him. And he's like, yes, yes, I did recognize him when he came back into town. But I don't think that's really Martin Guerrero. So he starts pushing for an investigation into this guy. The townspeople are like, you just don't want to be sued. And he's like, you're right, I don't want to be sued, but I don't think that's Martin. I don't think that's him. Now, Uncle Pierre starts going on in this investigation, right? And he ends up running into this soldier who's, like, walking through town at some point. It's not like he was just like, hmm, I'm going to figure out the truth. And at that point, a soldier walked by. Like, as he was doing legwork, he talked to the soldier. And he goes, hey, you're in the army. Do you know Martin Guerrero? And the soldier was like, yeah, yeah. Actually, I do know Martin Guerrero. He's from around here, right? Uncle Pierre's like, yeah, yeah, he's from this town. Soldier's like, oh, is he, how's, how's he doing? How's his leg? Doing okay? Pierre's like, what? He goes, yeah, he got his leg chopped off. He doesn't have a leg. <laughs> he doesn't, he's missing a leg. Like, that should be the first thing. Hey, Pierre, how are you doing? What happened to your leg? That would be the first thing you notice. Uncle Pierre's like, no, not this version of him, at least. And the soldier goes, listen, man, before you get, like, too suspicious, I'm not entirely for sure that we're talking about the same dude. And I could be wrong about Martin getting his leg cut off. Like, it was a big army. There's a lot of stuff going on. But from what I remember, Martin Guerrero had his leg chopped off during the war. And then Soldier goes about his business. Now, at this point, the uncle is super suspicious. He goes, that's 100% not the right Martin. He gets his boys. The uncle gets a bunch of rounds up a bunch of dudes. They get baseball bats. They break into Martin's house and begin beating him with bats, being like, confess you're not the real guy or we're going to beat you to death. And he's like, ah, he's just like sleeping. They're like, keep hitting him in the leg. They're like, do you feel that? He's like, yeah, it's bone and flesh. They're like, aha. They're hitting his leg to hear if it sounds like wood and hitting on wood. Instead, his bones are just breaking. He's like, no. The wife runs in and says, hey, guys, knock it off. Like, why are you attacking my husband? It's not your husband. This huge fight breaks out. But they stopped beating him with bats, so that's a plus. 1559, people in the village say Martin is not the real guy. He's accused of identity theft, and he also burned down a barn or something like that. So he gets arrested for arson slash identity theft. The wife goes to trial and says, this 100% is my husband. All of this stuff is being stoked up by my uncle who doesn't want to lose his part of the money. That's all this is. The charges get totally dropped. The next year, the uncle and his wife, Bertrand's mom, both sit down Bertrand and said, listen, he is not your husband. He's not your husband at all. At this point, it had been four years since he'd come back to town. They had a kid. And they're still saying, this isn't your husband. This is not your original husband. He is not your OG husband. They go, you have to... Leave him, and you have to make sure he gets convicted of not being your husband so he doesn't get my part of the inheritance. And they lean on her so much, she finally says, Bertrand finally says, fine, I will testify in court that he is not my husband, and this will all be over with. Because only she can charge him with this particular crime. Like, the people charged him with identity theft and arson, but that case was dismissed. Now there was a like a deception type thing or adultery type crime that only the wife could accuse him of. So she does. And they hold this massive trial. And the town is basically split in two. You have people who go, that's Martin. I grew up with him. I knew him. That's him. And then other people go, and I don't think so. There was no definite proof that he wasn't, so it was kind of like this, uh, nah, I don't think that's him. The other people are like, I'm 100% for sure 
this is Martin. At one point in the trial, like the judge or the lawyers talk to Bertrand and they ask her about an intimate event that happened prior to 1548, prior to him leaving in the first place. And she tells this story. Whatever, we don't know exactly what it was. And then they asked Martin the same thing and he told the same story. So they go, it has to be the same guy. Like, how could he have known this event that happened before he left in the first place if it wasn't the same guy? They bring out 150 witnesses, people on both sides coming forward to either say it is the real Martin or I don't think it is. His own four sisters again come up onto the stand and say, it's him, it's him, it's him. And then Martin on the stand says, if he says to his wife, if you will swear right now that I'm not your husband, I will happily go to the gallows and get my head chopped off. If you will swear that you know for a fact I am not Martin, they can execute me right now. And she was dead silent because she didn't know. Or she was being pressured by the uncle. But whatever the case is, the trial ends. He's found guilty and sentenced to be beheaded. And he's like, great. That gambit didn't work out. He appeals it, though. And he takes it to basically the Supreme Court of France or a higher court in France, right? So they're leaving behind this little provincial town and they go to this beautiful, like, French, I don't know, (laughs) it could have been a shack in the middle of the woods. The Blair Witch could have been the presiding judge, I don't know. But I imagine they leave behind this village and they go to like a place with actual like brick buildings and mortar and stuff like that. So they're there now and he appeals it and he wins. And not only does he win the appeal, but then Bertrand and Pierre are arrested for perjury and false accusation. And he, and so now the tables have completely turned. And he argues, listen, my wife is being manipulated for greed. I don't think she was actually trying to say anything bad about me. I think she was being manipulated by her stepfather, my uncle. I don't think she had anything to do with it. But the court is like, listen, they sat here, they they told us these stories, they almost got you executed. We now have to have a trial for perjury for them. While all this is going on, this new trial is being set up. A man walks into town. Wooden leg. Hitting the pavement. Walks up to a crowd, I'm assuming a group of people. And he's like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, people. I heard there's a trial being held here for my wife and my uncle and like someone saying they're me, but I'm not. I'm me. I'm Martin Guerrero. And I was just kind of hanging out in the countryside doing my own thing. But what's this about? And basically the entire crowd (laughs) turns around at once. All of his sisters, the uncle, Bertrand, his wife, everyone who sees him immediately goes, Now that's Martin. That is Martin Guerrero. 100%. That's what happened to your leg? And he's like, oh yeah, I was wondering when you're going to ask me about that. Got chopped off. I got shot or stabbed or something. And they had to operate and they cut the leg off. Now at this point, you have the new, the Martin Guerrero that we've been following this whole story. Try to like sneakily, like he's dressing up. He's on top of a kid in a trench coat trying to sneak out of the crowd. He gets arrested. He was the imposter the entire time. And so they charge him with adultery and fraud. 
They build a gallows outside of Martin and Bertrand's house back in the little village. And they hang them. Now, I get justice, but I don't want justice in my front yard. Martin goes off. He did run away because he was embarrassed about stealing the grain. He joined the military. He got shot. Leg got amputated. He ends up joining a monastery. And they, they, they go, we don't really know why he went to monastery. But he went to monastery for a for about 8, 10 years. And then he was coming back to the region anyways. And he started hearing about this trial in this other town. He was headed back to his hometown. He heard about this trial in this big city that actually had buildings and stuff. He walked over there. Which, it's a good thing he did. Because Bertrand and the uncle were about to be charged with all sorts of stuff. And this guy shows up, bangs your wife while you're in while you're in the military, you're in monastery, you're missing a leg. Some guy shows up, bangs your wife, all that stuff. I get it, you want justice. I don't want it in my front yard. I don't want to be like, ah, oh, it's time to have some lemonade. Oh, wait, forgot the rotting corpse in my front yard. I'm going to go hang out in the back. And it took him a long time to forgive his wife because he said she should have known better. She should have known better. Who was this guy? We do know. His name was Arnold de Till. He was a scoundrel. They kept referring him to us as a scoundrel afterwards. Well, I guess banging another dude's wife and insisting you're him would make you a scoundrel. Anyways, he's a scoundrel from another nearby town. He was in the military. He learned about Martin from a couple friends, and he learned enough details about him that he figured, I can pull this off. I can sneak into his town. It's been eight years. I can chalk up a lot of stuff to just eight years passing. There had to have been a passing resemblance. I don't think he was like four feet taller than the dude. But I mean, if he had a mustache, people are like, you didn't have a mustache when you left. He's like, I know, but I I can grow those. That's something I can do. That's something I can do. So anyways, he does get found guilty for this. And look at it from his point of view. He At a certain point, he had to really start to believe that he was Martin Guerrero. Like, obviously, he wasn't, he wasn't, like, going crazy, and he's like, I am myself. But he had to start to believe, like, this is actually going to work. And he woke up every morning, playing with his newborn son, talking to his wife. And as he's sitting out on his porch drinking his lemonade, he's just looking at this field that he owns. And he's like, everything, my scam is going perfect. This Everything is going exactly the way I want it. But what he doesn't realize is just a few years, just a few feet from where he's sitting. They're going to build a gallows outside of that house. And every morning that he woke up and looked out at his property, his ill-gotten property, the stuff he came to possess because of a lie, pretty soon that would be the last thing he would see as that trap door gave way and the rope snapped his neck. Arna de Till would look over the land of Martin Guerrero and wish one more time that he truly was the man he was pretending to be. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>